Good morning. Great to be with you today. My name is David Cassidy. If you're new with us, I'm a lead pastor here at Spanish River Church. Joy to welcome you here in this place and all those who are joining us online as well, both in this area, around the United States and in other countries too. We're delighted to have fellowship with you from afar. And if you're new with us today, we've just started last Sunday a series called Remembering the church, or remember the church. Uh, some of the devastation which has taken place over the last, oh, year and a half or so that the pandemic has been uh, loose in the world is not only an attack on the, the bodies of people, but a, an attack on the body of fellowship which we have together. And so you find, in many cases, the connections and so on that we have together uh, to be interrupted and our fellowship to be disturbed, and our sense of belonging to a community to be something which is difficult to maintain. And that's why we're taking a few weeks to think deeply about what the Scriptures say to us concerning this remarkable work that Jesus undertook, not only to save individuals, but to knit them together into a community of people, an eternal community of people, called the church. We looked last week at Matthew 16 where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So one of the things that has been lost in many cases for evangelicals, I think particularly over the last 20 years or so, is the church as part of Jesus' mission. People think of Jesus' mission as coming to save individuals and he does do that. But the grace of Jesus Christ extends to every aspect of the fall, and that's true for us personally. There's no aspect of who we are as individuals which is untouched by the vandalism of sin. But there's also no aspect of our interpersonal relationships that's untouched by the fall as well. And so as soon as human community in the book of Genesis begins to emerge, we find murder, Cain killing Abel, we find the kind of violence, fear, and despair that has spread across the, the whole human race, smeared across human history. And so when God sends his son to be the savior, he steps in not simply to forgive us our sins, though that is magnificent, and to impute to us his perfect righteousness, which is a treasure beyond words, and not simply to restore us individually, from death to life and to conform us to the image of his son, but also to take those broken places in our interpersonal relationships, all the divisions, all of the fragmentation, and begin to knit that back together in a community of people that bear witness to a world which is coming. The kingdom of God is to be seen through the life of the community of God's people here and now. And that community of God's people is called the church. And you go, well, the spirit is at work in that, but wow, the church is awfully imperfect. It's a, it's a place where many people experience harm rather than healing. And we spoke to this last week, that we understand why there are people who have dropped out of church because... They found it to be a toxic environment, and we want it to be a house where people are healed. We understand why people have been separated 
from the life of fellowship because the habits of all of our lives have been disrupted over these last many months. But we also understand that this priority of Jesus Christ for creating his church and making it his witness in the world is not going to be overthrown by anything, certainly not a pandemic. And we're not the first people to suffer interruptions in our fellowship and disruptions to what it means to be a community. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians 12 here. And I have to let you know right at the outset that if you are a church leader, 1 Corinthians is not the letter you would want to get in the mail. I mean, Paul, is he's got a serrated edge pen let loose in this letter. It starts off acknowledging divisions in the church. He says, I've heard rumors about your divisions, that you're being separated from each other, you're being disconnected, you're being broken apart. And these divisions occur along ethnic lines and, relig- and religious lines, racial lines. These, these, these divisions occur between the rich and the poor, and they even occur, Paul notes in his letter to the Corinthians, among those who think they're spiritual, so spiritual, that they don't need other Christians because, well, I've got all these spiritual gifts, and those who, at the other end of the spectrum, think, I've got no real gifts at all, and so, you know, what use am I in the church? I mean, why bother? So Paul steps into this divided, broken situation to remember the church, to bring the body back together. And he opens this section by telling them that they all have gifts of the Holy Spirit, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been at work in their lives, and that they really are gifted by God to serve one another. And he says, you need to understand something the Holy Spirit has done. And let's pick it up in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in or with or by, it's all the same in Greek, one spirit, by the spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. See, he's noting some of these distinctions, some of these places where division exists. All have been made to drink of the one spirit. All right, let's just pause there for a second in our reading and just kind of do a little running commentary here. How many of the Corinthians have been baptized by the spirit into the body? All of them. How many of the Corinthians have been made to drink from the Holy Spirit? How many of them? Every single one of them. And so every single one of them have the Spirit. Every single one of them have been joined to the body. Now, Christians fuss and fight over the mode of baptism. They get into big disagreements about, is it immersion? Is it pouring? Is it sprinkling? And all God's people said, yes. (laughs) Just saying, okay? All right. But when people fight about that, they miss the meaning of baptism. What's its meaning? Its meaning in the ancient world was to join things together. That's why it always talks about in the scripture being baptized into. You're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're baptized, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says the people of Israel were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. When they went through the Red Sea, they were joined to Moses. And here he says the Spirit, when he comes into your life, he not only joins you personally to Jesus, he baptizes you into 
the body of Christ. In other words, this is an eternal, everlasting joining. And I, I got news for you. This is a joining that is longer than your marriage. The body of Christ is eternal. Many of us have relatives that are part of the church in heaven. The church in heaven and the church on earth are the same church. It's just that we can't see some of our members who are there and are now perfect. And we're still in our journey here. But the church, listen, let me put it to you this way. The church will never, ever cease to exist. She is the bride of Christ. And the Spirit has joined you to this community of believers. And so to, to say as a Christian, I don't need the church, you haven't understood God's saving purpose in restoring human relationships and witnessing to the abounding aspect of his grace that touches every aspect of our human relationships and, and our human personhood. And you haven't understood that heaven is not a bunch of little fat chubby cherubs floating around on clouds with arrows. It's the whole community of the redeemed, every, every tongue, every people, every nation under heaven gathered together but around the throne of the Lamb saying, worthy is Jesus. You're part of that church. And so this is the community you're in and you're baptized into it. The body, watch this, the body does not consist of one member. You can't be your own church. What church do I? I go to St. David's. That's my church, right? That's mine. All right. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, I am, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. In other words, if you say, I'm a nobody, I'm nothing, that doesn't, and you, so I'm, I, I can't see the point, that doesn't actually make you not a part of the body. You're still part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, ye, um, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, pre unpre our unpresentable parts... <laughs> are treated with greater modesty. We cover up the unpresentable stuff, you know, right? Which are more presentable parts, did you get my good side, right? Don't require this. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there would be no division in the body. Get over all your divisions, and the members would have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. That's the grace of community. This is the grace of community. The Spirit 
joins you to the body of Christ. This is a, you wonder what the gifts of the Spirit are. Here's the first gift of the Spirit. The first gift of the Spirit is to join you to the body of Christ in which all other gifts flow and function. So the church is a grace in our lives. We need to establish that in our hearts. The church is a grace in our lives. Too often we think of the church as some duty we have to perform or a club we're a part of. Or we think of it as kind of like a utility, like our financial advisor or our doctor or our dentist. I'll call you if I need you. But the church is not a utility. It's not a club. It's a community. It's a congregation that has been called out of the world and built together by Jesus to show who he is in the world. And it's an eternal community. It will never end. And this is a grace to us. Why? Well, again, human beings are made for community. We're made for community. This is why solitary confinement is a form of torture. And when we find ourselves desperately alone, we long for another face. We were made to live face to face in community. Why, why is that? What's going on in that? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that we are made in the image of God. Let us make man in our image. All right, listen to that verse. Let what? Us make man in our image. That's God speaking. God is us and our. God did not say, I will make man in my image according to my likeness. God said, let us, that's God, in our image. Listen, my friends, God is a community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when he made humans in his image, he made us to be dwellers in community. And when we are not in community, we go crazy. One of my favorite movies is Castaway with Tom Hanks. I want to show you a clip from that because it's important for us to understand our need for a face. Watch this. You all know his best friend, don't you? What's his name? Wilson. And the rest of the movie, Tom, Hank's character, who is alone on this island, builds a friendship, a relationship with Wilson. He taught, does Wilson answer? Nobody needs a face, you see, to talk to. Because we were made for community. And in the, at the, at the spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. <laughs> and if you haven't seen it, why haven't you seen it? Okay. I mean, my goodness, it's been 20 years. Come on. 
And at the end, as he's made a raft to finally escape the clutches of this island, knowing no one's ever coming for him, and he's floating around out in the ocean waiting to be rescued, Wilson floats off. And he begins to cry out, Wilson, Wilson, he swims out after him to try to rescue Wilson. He about dies trying to rescue a volleyball. Because it's not a volleyball, is it, anymore? No, that's his friend. Because we were made for community. This is the necessity of community. To be fully human is to be in community. Because community is the image of God. There are many people who are gathered with us online this morning and we're so glad you're doing that and they're doing that because they can't be here because of health concerns. And we're so glad they can continue to join us in this way. But there are some people who aren't here not because they can't come but because they can't be bothered to come. They can't be bothered to assemble with the community. There's a difference between can't and can't be bothered. Let me say to all those all, I don't know if you're watching, even if you're watching, I'm just going to talk into the air for a second. Uh, if, if you've just said, I prefer my slippers and my orange juice and I'll watch, take your slippers off, get dressed and get over here. Okay, that's all I want to say about that. Okay, because you're part of the body. If you can't come, we're going to keep coming to you with everything that we have. But here's the thing, we're going to keep coming towards each other with the grace of of Jesus because the gospel restores not only what's broken in us, but what's broken between us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about this in his remarkable book on community. Great Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, pastor, martyr. And he noted that what we have isn't just community in the wider human sense because you can get a form of community with your with your fellow teammates. You can get it in a military unit. You, that's a very strong and potent kind of community. You can have community with your friends at a bar. Go to Cheers because everybody knows your name. The people laughing are people who used to watch really old TV shows. Okay. But here's the truth. Christian community has a unique characteristic to it. It's a it's a community which is built around Jesus Christ. Because you see, human communities, mere human communities, limit themselves. They limit themselves in this way. They do not have to have two qualities, mere human communities, that are absolutely critical in a Christian community. And Bonhoeffer brings this out. Truth and mercy. Truth and mercy. Human communities go, you see those people over there? See those people over there? They're, they're not in my community. Those are the outsiders. And mere human community can never imagine an enemy becoming a forgiven friend. But Christian community looks on the world not as us versus them, but as us for them. And says, I'm longing for the day when those who call themselves who call themselves my opponent, become my brothers and sisters. And I live to serve them. And inside the Christian community, we also keep preaching the gospel to each other. Other human communities don't do that. But inside the Christian community, we keep telling each other, you're a new creation. We keep telling each other, yes, you failed, but you're forgiven. We keep telling each other, you need the Savior, and you have one. 
We keep preaching the gospel to each other. That is a unique form of Christian community. It is what holds the church together. It's Jesus. Ecclesiastes put it this way, two are better than one. Woe to him who is alone when he falls. If two lie together, they keep warm. How can somebody keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's the threefold cord, isn't it? When my oldest daughter was really little, and I was taking care of her one day, she said, Daddy, would you braid my hair? And I said, uh, Sure. And let me just tell you, this was a long time ago in a former era, epoch, and there was no YouTube to look up how to do that. And I'd seen braided hair on girls, and I thought, well, okay, I'll take these two strands and I'll tie them together, right? Now, what are you laughing at? What are you laughing at? You're laughing because you know the two strands won't what? That's not going to work. You got to have what? You got to have three strands. It's all falling apart. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. This is why I prepent every day when I wake up, because I know I'm going to fail. It took a third strand to hold it together. The Christian community is held together. The Christian community is not two people getting together. It's two people joined together through the Holy Spirit around Jesus Christ. Now, there are enemies to this community. There are enemies, and they're probably not what you think they are. They're not out there. They're in our hearts. Paul describes them in this text. The first one, the first enemy, one of Satan's strategies to separate us from community is to make us think that we are not needed. Listen to, listen to how he describes this. Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Well, that doesn't make you any less a part of the body, he says. And if the ear should say, well, I'm not an eye. I'm not a part of the body. That doesn't make it any less a part of the body. There are people who think that whatever it is they are in the body of Christ, you're not important. But I want you to know every part of the body is important. Every part of the body is important. You go, well, I'm just a little toe in the body of Christ. Well, <laughs> one of the things I love about living here is it's a flip-flop world, baby. I love it. I would preach in flip-flops if the elders would let me. I'll just tell you that. But, but my, my family says to me, don't you go out in flip-flops. Don't you go out in public because you have the ugliest toes on the planet. Do not let anybody catch you outside in flip-flops. I'm like, man, that is so unscriptural. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness, Isaiah 55. I mean, I'm looking at my toes. I think my toes are, God made these toes. God likes these toes. Come on, I got some amens, okay. Beautiful toes, what are you talking about? Let me check them out. Heck yeah, those are anointed toes. I'm just telling you right now. Don't you be mashing on my toes. I'm just a toe on the body of Christ. Growing up in Indiana, everything was all about basketball. There was a guy at a high school in Indianapolis about 50 miles south of where I grew up seven foot one, recruited by every Big Ten school, was going to go to Indiana, play hoops for Bob Knight. He was in an automobile accident, and the, and the engine came in on the passenger side of the front compartment, and it crushed three of his toes, and they had to be amputated. He was seven foot one. He was built for hoops. 
It's what he dreamed of. It's what he was made for. But he lost those three toes. And the loss of those three toes meant something very important. He couldn't jump. Couldn't jump. And so he couldn't do what he was made for. I'm going to tell you, there are whole swaths of the body of Christ that are just laying out saying, well, I'm just a nobody. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit has made you who you are. He's gifted you in the way that you are. You are needed in the body of Christ. And unless you do what God has called you to do, we're never going to be able to jump. And your toes are beautiful. Some of you are toes. You know who you are. Some of you are elbows. You know who you are. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. At the other end of the spectrum are people who say, I don't need you. This is a superstar Christian. The I cannot, this is verse 21, the I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Well, no kidding, because the I can see a stake. It's just stared at that stake. Look at that stake. But that eye is not going to be nourished unless the hand can bring the steak to the, to the mouth and nourish the eye. the eye. I had this guy, he was a weird guy. He showed up at church one Sunday. I know no weird people ever show up here. But this is in London. This was in London. And I was greeting people out front as they're coming in for the service. I'm shaking hands as people come in. And this guy walks up to me on a Sunday morning, put my hand out to greet him. And he said to me, I'll never forget it. He said, I'm an eye. Do, 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 do. Okay, anyway, I'm an I. <laughs> now look, every guy in this room has looked across at their spouse or wannabe spouse and said, you have the most beautiful eyes. That's, eyes are beautiful. But when he said to me, I'm an I, the only thing I could think of was my freshman biology class. And in my freshman biology class, we dissected cow's eyes. And they came down the row in trays, passed down the row. Here's your eye. And all I could see was that eyeball in that tray. And of course, when you're a freshman in high school, all the guys are going, awesome. And all the girls are going, ah, you know. And, and so here's this eyeball looking at me. You have the most beautiful eyes. Here's the thing about eyes. Eyes are great as long as they're where they're supposed to be. And so when he said to me, I'm an eye, you know how when you're young, you say stuff that later you think, you, you probably could have done better. I said, I said find a face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, find a face. He did not come back. He did not come back. That was the only time he ever visited. I kind of failed in my ministry that day. I'm just telling you, man, if you think you're all that, let me tell you, Jesus is making himself known to principalities and powers, and he's making himself known in the world through the church, not a superstar Christian. Nobody in this church has a cape. The church, full of weak people, empowered by the Spirit, broken people, mended by the gospel of grace. This is the body of Christ, and it's how Christ is made known in the world because this is the witness of the community. Notice what Paul says here. He says in verse 12, though the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. He doesn't say so it is with the body of Christ. He says so it is with Christ. Christ, Christ himself. Christ is the head of the body. We are his members. He's joined us to himself and this is how he 
works in the world is through this body of believers that are Jews and Greeks, that are slave and free, that are male and female, that are rich and poor, that are from all over the place. And he gathers us together and he assembles us in worship. And this is how he bears witness in the world. Catherine of Siena years ago wrote this, Christ has no body on earth now but the church. No hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which his compassion must look on the world. Yours are the feet with which he must go about doing good. Yours are the hands through which he will bless the world now. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. But across the church of Jesus Christ today, there are thousands of people who don't think they need the church. Either they think so because they're so beaten down they don't think they can have anything to contribute or because they think they're so great they don't need it. And Paul addresses both. And then there are people who are discipling their children week after week after week. They're discipling them, but they're discipling them never to be part of the church. And even though God the Father has sent his son to build a community called the church and to gather them in worship and to show through that community of people the love and the mercy and the grace and the kindness of of everlasting love to the whole world through that weak, foolish group of people. And even though he sent the spirit to baptize people into that community and give them new life, the same spirit who inspired the apostles to write Holy Scripture. And you have that in your lap today, that Bible, because people called the church, died, burned at a stake, so you could have it in your language. These parents have told their children week after week after week after week after week that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and the mission of God in the world is not as important as your soccer match. Now, I'm a sports guy. I love sports. And I get if from time to time you got to break off from church because you got this, this event. Okay? But if, if that's your habit, you are telling your children that their games are more important than the cross. And their sports are more important than Jesus. Or maybe it's music. Whatever it is, you are sending the next generation a message that Jesus is an optional extra. And so why are we surprised if when the next generation grows up, they look at the church and go, I don't need that. I don't need it at all. We've spent 20 years discipling them to believe they don't need it at all. It's not that important. How important is the church? Well, when Paul wrote to the, gathered the Ephesian elders together, he said, the church, listen to this, the church which Christ has purchased with his blood. How important is the church? It was purchased with the blood of Christ. Well, I don't know if I'm ready to make a commitment 
My friends, there's a difference between a commitment and a contract. A contract is about what benefits you get. It's about your protections. But Jesus didn't come with a contract. He made a commitment. He came and gave up all the benefits which he had. And he died so that you and I could have life. And not just eternal life. He died to create this community, this beautiful tapestry of grace called his church. And now I'll just share something personal. And I'll close with this. I always knew church was coming as a little boy because I could smell shoe polish on Saturday night. My dad was a factory guy, blue-collar guy, never went to college. But every Saturday night, he got the shoes out. He had, he had this pair of dress shoes. Those dress shoes lasted 30 years, I'm convinced, because he wore them once a week on a Sunday, and he polished them every Saturday night. Give me your shoes. And he polished them. Because it was old school. You know, he dressed up for church and all that. It was a priority in our household. And we couldn't imagine something called the church not being part of the rhythm of our very lives. And that's something the church needs to recover. We need to re-member the church. So I don't know what polish will smell like in your house. I don't know what it'll be for you that makes you say to your children, this is important. This is important. There's nothing more important on earth than Jesus and his church. I believe that. Jesus and his church and his mission. There is nothing more important in the world nothing. That's what Christians actually believe. Do you? Commit to it. Commit to it. Jesus committed to you. And he's committed to his church. And if the church was worth his blood, it is worth your commitment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the savior of humankind and you save every aspect of who we are. You restore us personally and interpersonally. Thank you, Lord, that you made us in your image, in your likeness. You made us for community. And there are many lonely people listening online and lonely people here too. They're desperate for those relationships. I pray that you create them, mediate them, stand between the two and unite them. Be the third strand that bonds us together. And Lord, would you please use this congregation, this body of believers, all of the eyes and all of the toes, and show through our lives the splendor of your love in this world. We commit to it in your mighty and matchless name. And all God's people said.